Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Jason Kenney endorses Aaron O'Toole in the conservative leadership race. In this case, Mr. Kenney is giving a pretty clear signal to social conservatives that, hey, if it's between Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay, you better put Aaron O'Toole ahead of Peter McKay. Members of Parliament test party unity with private members' bills. This bill deletes the possession offense completely from the CDSA. Not trafficking, not producing, but the people who need our help. We should treat patients as patients and not as criminals. And the Prime Minister cautions against knee-jerk reactions when it comes to the coronavirus. We know that keeping Canadians safe needs to be done in the right way. uh, And we're going to keep doing the things that actually keep Canadians safe. Uh, There is a lot of misinformation out there. There is a lot of knee-jerk reaction that isn't keeping people safe, that is uh, having uh, real challenging impacts on communities and on community safety. It's Friday, March the 6th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, is endorsing Aaron O'Toole for the Conservative leadership. Is this a surprise, and how much will it help Aaron O'Toole, who, according to the poll we saw earlier this week, trails Peter McKay by a fairly significant margin, even though he's in second place? Um, It's a little bit of a surprise, but it's not, I would say, a huge shocker. The people around Jason Kenney um, have been dismayed, and I don't know if that includes the Premier, because I don't want to speak for the Premier, but with the quality of the candidates in the leadership race. And I think Jason Kenney was looking to have some influence in this race. And Peter McKay is very much viewed as being uh, too much towards the left side of the big conservative tent, too much of a progressive conservative, the Harper conservative, if you will. Um, So it's not a surprise that he is endorsing Aaron O'Toole, um, Mr. O'Toole announced this week that he um, has actually uh, qualified for all of the steps, so he's given his $300,000 and the 3,000 signatures needed, so his name will be on the ballot. Um, aside from Mr. Kenny, though, there aren't that many people in the Conservative Party that uh, carry uh, as much weight with the membership. I think you're thinking perhaps of Ronna Ambrose and Stephen Harper, I'm told the former Prime Minister is probably going to stay neutral in the race. So this could be um, a a very key endorsement uh, for Mr. O'Toole. Yeah. But it's interesting because you you can't say it's Jason Kenney's first choice because he was promoting first Ronna Ambrose and then John Baird, uh, neither of whom decided to run. And only now is he endorsing Aaron O'Toole, right? Exactly. That's my point. They were looking for somebody to back. They were hoping somebody that perhaps more um, reflected Mr. Kenny's ideology more closely. Um, and that person, yeah, that ideal person did not materialize. Um, but in the options that are currently available, Jason Kenny is saying, uh, Aaron O'Toole is my guy. Now, in this fundraising note um, that Mr. O'Toole sent where Mr. Kenny uh, endorses him, he also takes a couple of jabs at Peter McKay. Um, he talks about how it was uh, inappropriate that Mr. McKay uh, said that Andrew Scheer, uh, his, that his personal social conservative values had been a sticking albatross um, around the party during the campaign. And Mr. Kenny basically makes an appeal for social to social conservatives who are about um, a third of the party membership, about 180,000 uh, 
people are members of the Conservative Party. Um, so in this note, basically, he says, no one will have their deeply held beliefs dismissed as a stinking albatross under Aaron O'Toole's leadership. Ah. And in the last election campaign, um, or last uh, leadership campaign, I should say, social conservatives really gave Andrew Scheer the edge. They uh, did not feel that Maxime Bernier reflected their views. Mr. Bernier um, had said he was pro-choice, that he was in support of gay marriage. Mr. O'Toole was seen as not the ideal social conservative. That would probably have been Brad Trost. But, you know, uh, after the, the, the two social conservatives were off the ballot, um, Mr. Shear was that person. And so in this case, Mr. Kenny is giving a pretty clear signal to social conservatives that, hey, if it's between Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay, you better put Aaron O'Toole ahead of Peter McKay. In a related story, it's interesting to see uh, Toronto-area Liberal MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith and Saskatchewan Conservative MP Kathy Wagenthal, who are effectively challenging where their parties stand on some important policies uh, using private members' bills. The CBC has reported on this. I know you've done an interview uh, with Erskine Smith as well. So um, there are uh, there are some interesting developments here that, that will test uh, party unity and how the leaders handle these kinds of issues, right? Yeah, this is a very uh, interesting thing about private members' bill because they are supposed to be an avenue for members of parliament to choose any topic uh, that they would like. And we've seen MPs pick things that are, um, <laughs> I would say, like feel feel good items, like hey, let's have a South Asian History Month um, as their private members' bill. Um, but some have been more meaty, and these two MPs that you mentioned are suggesting things that make their party's leadership uncomfortable. But they, I haven't spoken to Kathy, but I have spoken to Nate uh, Erskine-Smith, as you just mentioned. Um, we have a lengthy interview in our podcast follow-up that will be up uh, later today. Um, where he makes a case for principled independence, and he calls on all MPs, regardless of party stripes, that they should use their their time and their ability um, and the rules that are in the House of Commons to champion things that matter to them that they think can make a difference in Canadian society, regardless of where you stand. So, um, Kathy Wiganall last week, I believe, uh, tabled uh, a bill that makes sex selection abortion, uh, well, basically, if a, if a physician performs a sex selective abortion, he could go to prison. Um, Mr. Erskine Smith has tabled two bills because he doesn't know which way he could convince most MPs to vote. One that is uh, decriminalizing personal uh, consumption of hard drugs. The other one basically gives police the options of issuing a warning to individuals um, who are caught with illicit drugs. That one's basically seen as being, well, possibly an entryway into decriminalizing uh, personal possession and kind of ending the stigma around individuals who may, um, especially people who are dealing with opioid addiction, um, who may feel like they can't really ask for help or feel like they're being criminalized for um, their addictions. So these two MPs really um, are challenging, as you said in this in the introduction, their party's leadership. But also, what's been very interesting is the parties are basically being hypocrites. Uh, on the one hand, the Liberals are saying, "Well, Andrew Scheer can't control his caucus because you see what his private what private members bill are coming forward," and the Conservatives are now publicly saying, "Well, Justin Trudeau has a crazy plan to legalize all hard drugs because look what his member of Parliament is doing." And I think what both of these MPs are really trying to say is we're not going to have policy 
uh, active policy movement in any certain direction if the leadership is stifling discussion and public policy debate. And so regardless of where you stand, it is very interesting that these two MPs are basically going against the implicit and explicit desires of their leadership. All right, let's turn to the coronavirus. The Prime Minister yesterday, answering questions about it, said we can't have knee-jerk reactions like banning people from certain countries to come into Canada. Uh, But there are pretty significant steps being taken in other places, like the cancellation of major events. So how do we strike the right balance here on stopping the spread of the coronavirus, but not overreacting? Uh, Well, that's a good question, and I don't think I can answer it, but uh, (laughs) I'm not a medical professional. Yeah, you're not, I'm not Uh, expecting you to answer the question, but that's the, that's the challenge here, right? Yes, so... Uh, A few things on this. I think the realization in the hallways of power here in Ottawa is that uh, there's nothing the government really can do to stop this virus from spreading. Um, We can delay, and I think Christy Freeland spoke to this earlier this week, we can delay, uh, you know, the virus from spreading, but it, it is going to take hold. I mean, we look at what's happening south of the border in the United States, for example, and a lot of countries are probably underestimating the number of cases they have because not that many individuals are, are have been tested. So some people are self-isolating as a precaution, uh, but they haven't actually been confirmed by the CDC, for example, in the United States as being somebody that uh, is part of the official tally numbers. In some ways, that may be a good thing. Maybe so. Maybe the um, the death rate is actually a lot lower than we think because the contamination rate is higher. Um, but the, the government is already uh, noticing the toll on the economy um, and banning all foreign travel uh, and people investors and coming to this country. Um, It's not something that they want to do. But as you mentioned, a lot of private companies are taking it upon themselves to cancel uh, international conference and events and banning their employees from traveling abroad Mm -hmm. and even traveling within the country. All right. Finally, interesting to see that Warren Buffett's company has pulled its support behind a liquefied natural gas project uh, proposed in the Saguenay um, because of, quote, the current political context in Canada, obviously referring to the blockades and and um, and, su- and suggesting here what other people have suggested, that foreign investors are getting nervous about supporting resource projects in Canada. Yeah, I don't think it's much of a... It's not a huge surprise. What is interesting is that um, the the group that was uh, depending on the $4 billion investment on a $9.5 billion project in uh, the Saguenay port, so the project is still going to go ahead, but that they have lost a major investor. Um, it, I think when we get to the point where GNL Quebec says they can't find a potential investor, uh, then perhaps... Uh, political uh, actors will mobilize. But at the point, I think it is uh, a reflection that, um, you know, business does not like uncertainty in what we've seen in the past few years, whether it's Trans Mountain or uh, the LNG pipeline or coastal gasoline pipeline. uh, All all there is seems to be Mm -hmm. a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. So even when you think you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's, you you, you may, it may not be the end of the road. Yeah, great point. All right, Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too, Mark. Have a great weekend. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. 
We know that keeping Canadians safe needs to be done in the right way. Uh, and we're going to keep doing the things that actually keep Canadians safe. Uh, there is a lot of misinformation out there. There is a lot of knee-jerk reaction that isn't keeping people safe, that is uh, having uh, real challenging impacts on communities and on community safety. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin calls for better communication when it comes to the coronavirus situation. Martin writes... At the heart of supermarket lineups, filled with anxious toilet paper and hand sanitizer hoarders, lies a communications failure. Justin Trudeau has shrugged off the heavy lifting to Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland, who, while undeniably capable, is overwhelmed by her too many other duties to give the coronavirus outbreak the fixated attention it demands. This is where the new health minister needs to become the point person, leading the charge against the impact of this virus. In the Financial Post, Joe Oliver argues the federal government's giveaway to hereditary chiefs creates more chaos and confusion. Oliver writes, A desire to make up for past wrongs and the need to fulfill extravagant promises appears to have driven the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations to agree to a one-sided deal. Ironically, Indigenous communities may be the most adversely affected by it. A few hereditary chiefs and radical environmentalists may be indifferent to the lower standard of living no new pipelines implies. But the lost opportunity for employment and prosperity would be a calamity the rest of us should find intolerable. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The finance minister, Bill Morneau, is in Toronto today, while the prime minister is in Ottawa. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, the questions for both of them will continue to focus on the coronavirus and the economy. Mark, Finance Minister Bill Morneau is giving a breakfast speech to the Canadian Club in Toronto and also speaking to reporters. And Prime Minister Trudeau is in Ottawa meeting with Indigenous leaders. Yesterday, the Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polaz was in Toronto and he was peppered with questions about his half a percentage point cut to the Bank of Canada's interest rate to counter the slowdown from the coronavirus's effect on the economy. Polaz says he hopes the rate cut will help, but that the bank is also ready to cut further if that's needed. Well, today, expect Finance Minister Morneau and the Prime Minister to face questions on what sort of fiscal measures, what sort of spending the government may be considering to help the economy weather the slump in the worldwide economy. And if the downturn is serious and sustained, what are they ready to consider in terms of compensation for Canadians? The Trudeau government has been spending generously over the past five years, while some people have been arguing that it should have been more aggressively reducing the deficit in anticipation of just such unforeseen emergencies as we may be facing now. So Mark, there are a lot of questions as we all wait for the full impact of the coronavirus on Canada. Thanks, Martin. Also today, Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne will hold a media conference following his visit to Latvia and Ukraine. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair will make an announcement in Scarborough, Ontario. Middle-class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier. Public Services Minister Anita Anand. And Minister for Women Mariam Monsef will take part in a moderated discussion at the Economic Club of Canada in Toronto. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will meet with female entrepreneurs in Toronto, Kitchener and Brampton, Ontario. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will make an announcement in Montreal. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will make a funding announcement in Vancouver. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will speak at the Canadian Young Farmers Forum in Charlottetown. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh 
will meet with residents in London, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, March the 6th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns on Monday morning. Have a great weekend.